3, e neck, and at the sides for the arms no sleeves, and coming down to about the waist, without any other opening either in front or at the back. This garment is also worn until the formal end of the period of mourning. I was unable to secure a picture of one of these. There is no special dress for chiefs to distinguish them from other people. European calico clothing has not been adopted by these people, even in the district where they are in touch with the missionaries. Indeed I may say that the people, happily for their own health, show no inclination to wear more clothing, and no doubt as a result of their conservatism in this respect they escape many a fatal cold and attack of pneumonia, and the spread of infectious skin diseases is somewhat reduced. I may also add that the bishop and fathers of the mission do not attempt, or seem to desire, to urge the people who come under their influence to endanger their health and their lives for the sake of conforming to views as to clothing which have played such havoc with tropical natives in many parts of the globe. Physical body decoration, and see, tattooing and body scarring are not practiced by either men or women among the Mafulu. Depilation, when a young man's beard begins to grow. The hairs of the beard and mustache and eyebrows are extracted. No other depilation is practiced by men, and none whatever by women, and none of them shave any part of the body. The depilation is effected with two fiber threads twisted round each other, the hair to be extracted being inserted between the threads. Anyone can do this, and there is no ceremony connected with it. Nose piercing. The septa of the noses of both men and women are pierced at or after the age of 15 or 18 and either before or after marriage. This is done for men by men, and for women by women. There is no special person whose duty it is to do it, but he or she must be one who knows the incantations which are required. There is no restriction as to diet or otherwise placed upon the operator prior to the operation, but there is a day's food restriction imposed upon the person whose nose is to be pierced. Two instruments are used for the operation, one being a piercing instrument made of pig bone and sharpened, and the other being a small wooden plug, also sharpened, the operator first visibly, but silently, engages in two incantations, during the former of which he holds up the thumb and first finger of his right hand, and during the latter of which he holds up the two instruments, he then with the thumb and first finger of his right hand holds the septum of the nose of the person to be operated upon, whom I will call the patient, and with the left hand pierces the septum with the bone instrument, he next inserts the wooden plug into the hole, so as to make it larger, and leaves the plug there, then he takes a blade of grass, which he also inserts through the hole, by the side of the plug, and, holding the grass by the two ends, he makes it rotate round and round the plug, this is a painful process, which frequently causes tears and cries from the patient, he then probably goes through the same process with various other patients, as it is the custom to operate on several persons at the same time. The patients are then all lodged in houses built for the purpose, one house being for men and one for women. These are not houses which are kept permanently standing, but are specially built on each occasion on which the nose-boring operation is going to be performed. A great swelling of the patient's noses develops, and this spreads more or less over their faces. The patients are confined in the special houses until the holes in their noses are large enough and the wounds are healed. During this confinement each patient has himself to do what is requisite to further enlarge the hole by the insertion into it from time to time of pieces of wood and by putting in rolled up leaves and pushing pieces of wood inside these leaves. During all this period he is not allowed to come out of the house, at all events not so as to be seen, and his diet is confined to sweet potato, cooked in a certain way. The cooking for all the patients, men and women, is done by the woman nose piercing operator 
assisted by other women. The potatoes are wrapped up in leaves usually banana, each potato being generally wrapped up separately in one or more leaves, and, when so wrapped up, they are cooked in red-hot ashes, and then taken to the houses where the patients are, when the hole in any patient's nose has reached the requisite size, and the wound is healed. He inserts a large croton leaf into the hole, he may then come out and return to his own house, retaining the croton leaf in his nose. He must next occupy himself in searching for a black non-poisonous snake about 12 or 18 inches long, which is commonly found in the grass. I cannot say what snake this island but I am advised that it is probably tropic known as Mary. Its native name is Felolob, which means, germ of the ground. Until he finds this snake he must keep the croton leaf in his nose and is still under the same restriction as to food, which is cooked in the same way and by the same persons as before. On finding the snake, he secures it alive, removes the croton leaf from the hole in his nose, and inserts into it the tail end of the living snake, then, holding the head of the snake in one of his hands, and the tail in the other, he draws the snake slowly through the hole, until its head is closed to the hole, he then lets the head drop from his hand and with a quick movement of the other hand draws it through the nose, and throws the snake, still living, away. This completes the nose piercing, but there still rests upon the patient the duty of going to the river, and there catching an eel, which he gives to the people who have been feeding him during his illness. The nose piercing is generally done at one of the big feasts, and, as these are rare in any one village, you usually find in the villages many fully grown people whose noses have not been pierced, Though as to this I may say that nose-piercing is more generally indulged in by chiefs and important people and their families than by the village rank and file. It commonly happens, however, that a good many people have to be done when the occasion arises. Each person to be operated upon has to provide a domestic pig for the big feast. I have been enabled to discover the origin and meaning of the nose-piercing ceremony. Your piercing is done to both men and women, generally when quite young say at seven or twelve years of age, both the lower and the upper lobes are pierced, sometimes only one or the other, and sometimes both, but the lower lobe is the one more commonly pierced, they can do it themselves, or can get someone else to do it, there is no ceremony, the piercing is done with the thorn of a tree, and the hole is afterwards gradually widened by the insertion of small pieces of wood, they never make large holes, or enlarge them greatly afterwards, as the holes are only used for the hanging of pendants, and not for the insertion of discs. After the piercing the patient must, until the wound is healed, abstain from all food except sweet potato, but there is no restriction as to the way in which this food is to be cooked, or the person who is to cook it. There is as regards ear piercing no difference between the case of chief's children and those of other people. Body staining is usual with both men and women, who do it for themselves, or get others to help them. There is no ceremony in connection with it. The colors generally adopted are red, grayish yellow and black. The red stain is procured from an earth, which is obtained from the low countries, but they themselves also have an earth which is used, and produces a more bronzy red. The yellow stain is also got from an earth. All these colored earths are worked into a paste with water, or with animal fat, if they can get it. I think they also get a red stain from the fruit of a species of pandanus but I am not quite clear as to this. The black stain is obtained from crushed vegetable ashes mixed with fat or water. The staining of the face is usually of a simple character. It may cover the whole face all in one color or in different colors, and often one side of the face is stained one color, and the other side another color. 
They also make stripes and spots or either of them of any color or colors on any part of the face. The red color I think especially that obtained from the pandanus fruit is also often applied in staining the whole body. This being especially done for dances and visiting, though a young dandy will often do it at other times. The black is the symbol of mourning, and will be referred to hereafter. Hairdressing may be conveniently dealt with here. The mafulu hairdressing is quite simple and rough, very different from the babe. Spreading, elaborately prepared and carefully combed mops of mako. This is a factor which a traveler in this part of New Guinea may well bear in mind in connection with his impedimenta, as he has no difficulty in getting the Kuni and Mafula people to carry packages on their heads, which the Mako folk are unwilling to do. The modes in which the men dress their hair, so far as I was able to notice, may be roughly divided into the following categories, a simple crop of hair either cut quite close or allowed to grow fairly long, or anything between these two, but not dressed in any way and probably uncombed, and kept and untidy. This is the commonest form, the same as, but with a band round the hair, separating the upper part of it from the lower, and giving the former a somewhat chignon-like appearance. The hair done up all over the head in three-stranded plates a few inches long, and about an eighth of an inch thick, having the appearance of short thick pieces of string, the top of the head in rest, but the sides, and sometimes the back, of the head done up in plates like, a manufactured long-shaped fringe of hair, human, but not the hair of the wearer plate 20, figure 3, is often worn over the forehead, just under the wearer's own hair, so as to form, as it were, a part of it, pieces of string being attached to the ends of the fringe and passade round the back of the head, where they are tied, these fringes are made by tying a series of little bunches of hair close to one another along the double string, which forms the base of the fringe, Specimens examined by me were about 12 inches long and 114 inches wide this width being the length of the bunches of hair, and contained about 20 bunches. It is usual to have two or three of these strings of bunches of hair tied together at the ends, thus making one broad fringe. These fringes are often worn in connection with styles and of hairdressing, but I never noticed them in association with and I was told that men who have become bald sometimes wear complete artificial wigs, though I never saw an example of this. The hairdressing of the women seemed to be similar to that of the men, except that I never saw the chignon producing band, that they do not wear fringes, and that the entire or partial plating of the hair is more frequently adopted by them than it is by the men. I do not know whether the women ever indulge in entire wigs. Method is seen in many of the plates. Method is illustrated, though not very well. In plate 9 the fourth and fifth man from the left and in plate 21 the young man to the left. Behind. Method is adopted by four of the women in the front of space, by some of the women in plate 16, by the woman in plate 17, and by the little girl in plates 22 and 23. Method is well illustrated by the second woman from the right in the front of space. The cutting of the hair of both men and women is effected with sharp pieces of stone of the sort used for making adze blades, or with sharp pieces of bamboo or shell. Infant deformation is not practiced in any form by the Mafula people nor do they circumcise their children. Ornaments, the string-like plates in which men and women arrange their hair, and especially those of the women, are often decorated with ornaments, small cori and other shells, or native or European beads, or both, are strung by women onto these plates, sometimes in a line along all or the greater part of the length of the plate, sometimes as a pendant at the end of it, and sometimes in both ways, and any other small ornament object may be added. Dog's teeth are also used by both men and women in the same way, but these are, I think, 
more commonly strung in line along the plates, rather than suspended at the ends of them. Both men and women wear suspended at the ends of these plates wild beetle nut fruit, looking like elongated acorns, and men, but not women, wear in the same way small pieces of cane, an inch or too long, into which the ends of the plates are inserted. All these forms of decoration may be found associated together. They are in the case of men usually confined to the plates at the sides, being also often attached to the side ends of the artificial fringes, but they are sometimes used for the back of the head also. The women often wear them also at the top of the head, and in wearing them at the sides sometimes have them hanging in long strings reaching to the shoulders. Plate 24 figures 1, 2, 5, and 6 and plate 25 figures 2 and 4 are ornament plates cut off the heads of women. The ornaments shown include beads, shells, discs made out of shells, dog's teeth and beetle nut fruit. Plate 24 figures 3 and 4 are ornament plates cut off the heads of men one of them having a cane pendant, and the other a pendant of beetle nut. The appearance of these things, as worn, is seen in plates 16, 26, 27, 28 and 29 the habit of wearing a single dog tooth at each side of the head, as shown by 27, being a common one, and 28 showing the equally common habit of wearing a couple of beetle nuts at each side. Their appearance, when worn in abundance for a festal dance, is excellently shown in the frontispiece and in plate 17, and the little girl in plates 22 and 23, though too young to be a dancer, is decorated for an occasion. Pig's tails are a common head decoration for women, and are also worn, though not so frequently, by men. These tails are covered with the natural hair of the tail, and are brown colored. They are suspended by strings passing round the crown of the head or from the plates at the sides of the head. They are generally only about 6 inches long, but sometimes the ornaments into which they are made are much longer, and I have seen them worn by women hanging down as far as the level of the breast. These pigtails are sometimes worn hanging in clusters of several tails. They are also often, in the case of women, decorated with shells, beads, dog's teeth, etc. which are attached like tassels to their upper ends. Plate 30, figure 3 shows a pigtail ornament for hanging over the head with the tails suspended on both sides and strings of beads and dog's teeth hanging from the upper ends of the tails. The ornament is worn by the middle man in plate 9 and by the little girl figured in plates 22 and 23, and it is seen more extensively worn by women decorated for dancing in the front of the and in plate 17, and by the girl in plate 71, a peculiar and less usual sort of head ornament plate 30, figure 4, worn by both men and women is a cluster of about a dozen or less of bark cloth strings, about one one two feet long, fastened together at the top, and they're suspended by a string tied round the top of the head, so as to hang down like the lashes of a several font whip over the back. The individual strings of the cluster are quite thin, but they are decorated with the yellow and brown straw-like material above referred to in connection with abdominal belt number 6 being prepared from the same plant, apparently dendrobium, and in the same way the material being twisted in a close spiral round the strings, and making them look, when seen from a short distance off, like strings of very small yellow and brown beads, irregularly arranged in varying lengths of the two colors, shading off gradually from one to the other, even when so bound round, these strings are only about 116 to a 18 of an inch thick, the mafula comb plate 30, figure 2 differs in construction from the wooden combs, all made in one piece which are commonly used in Mako, it is made of four, five, or six thin pieces of wood, 
which are left blunt at one end, but are sharpened to points at the other. These are bound together with straw-like work, sometimes beautifully done, the binding being nearly always near to the blunt ends, though it is sometimes almost in the middle. The combs so made are flat, with the blunt ends converging and generally fastened together, and the long sharp ends, which are the ends to be inserted into the hair, spreading outwards. The bound-up blunt ends are in fact a point, or, say, half an inch or less occasionally more across. The spread of the sharp ends varies from one to two inches or more. The straw-like binding may be light or dark brown, or partly one and partly the other. Sometimes only the two outside prongs meet together at the blunt end, and the inner prongs do not extend much, or at all, beyond the upper edge of the straw-like work binding. The fastening together of the blunt converging tips is done sometimes with native thread just at the tips, and sometimes with a little straw work rather further down, occasionally it is missing altogether. The comb figured is not so converging at the blunt ends or so spreading at the sharp ends as is usual, and its blunt ends are not bound together. These combs are only worn by men, they are commonly worn in front, projecting forwards over the forehead, as is done in Mako, but they are also worn at the back of the head, projecting sideways to either right or left. A feather generally a white cockatoo feather, or sometimes two feathers, are often inserted into the straw-like work of the comb, so as to stand up vertically when the comb is worn, and their wave, or rather wag, backwards and forwards in the wind. I could not learn any significance in these feathers, such as applies to many of the upright head feathers worn by the young men of Mako. The comb is worn by several of the men figured in plate 9, one of them wearing it in front and the others having it standing out sideways at the back. The almost universal type of earring plate 20, figure 1, varying from 2 to 3 inches in circumference, is made out of the tail of the couscous. The ring is made by removing the hair from the animal's tail, drying the tail and fastening the blunt end into or onto the blunt cut-off stump end, tying them firmly together. The ring is then bound closely round with the yellow and brown material dendrobium of belt number 6, but a space of 1 or 2 inches is generally left and covered at the part where the two ends of the tail are fastened together. The simplest form is a single earring, which passes through the hole in the ear, but I have seen two rings hanging to the ear, and frequently a second ring is hung on to the first, and often a third to the second and sometimes a fourth to the third, or perhaps, instead of the fourth ring, there may be two rings hanging to the second one. In fact, there are varieties of ways in which the fancy of the wearer and the number of rings he possesses will cause him to wear them. They are worn by both men and women. They may be seen in several plates, but unfortunately are not very clear. The most distinct are, I think, those worn by the second woman from the left in plate 26 and the woman on the left in plate 28. The second woman from the left in the front of this has two of them hanging from her right ear. Pig's tails, similar to those worn from the hair, are also worn by both men and women, especially the latter, suspended from the ears, and here again they vary much in length, and are often decorated with tassel-like hanging ornaments of shells, beads, etc. For it ornaments play 30, figure 5 are made by men and worn by them at dances. This ornament is a band, very slightly curved which is worn across the forehead, just under and surrounding the basis of the dancing feathers. It is generally about 16 inches long and between 4 and 5 inches broad in the middle, from which it narrows somewhat towards the ends. Its manufacture consists of a ground basis of the material of belt number 5, into which are interpolated in geometric patterns the two black and yellow and brown materials which are used for belt number 6. 
it is fixed onto the forehead by means of strings attached to its two ends, and passing round, and tied at the back of, the head, nose ornaments, these are straight pencil shaped pieces of shell, generally about six inches long, which are passed through the hole in the septum of the nose, they are only worn at dances and on special occasions, but the people from time to time insert bits of wood or cane or bone or some other thing into the hole for the purpose of keeping it open. There are temporary pegs in the noses of the fifth man to the left in plate 9 and the man in plate 10. The nose ornament is worn by the woman to the extreme right in the front of space. Necklaces and straight pendants, suspended from the neck and hanging over the chest, are common, though they are not usually worn in anything approaching the profusion seen in Miku and on the coast. These are made chiefly of shells of various sorts cut or whole, dog's teeth and beads, as in Mako. The shells include the cowries and the small closely packed overlapping cut shells so generally used in Mako for necklaces, and the flat disc-like shell sections, which are here, as in Mako, specially used for straight hanging pendants, also those lovely large crescent-shaped discs of pearl shell, which are well known to New Guinea travelers. The shells are, of course, all obtained directly or indirectly from the coast, in fact, these are some of the chief articles for which the mountain people exchange their stone implements and special mountain feathers, so the similarity in the ornaments is to be expected, but it is only within a quite recent time that the pearl crescents have found their way to Mafulu. I do not propose to describe at length the various forms of shell ornament, as they are very similar to, and indeed I think practically the same as, those of Miko. Some of the necklaces are figured in plates 31, 32 and 33, and they are worn by many of the people figured in other plates, especially the frontispiece and plate 17. Straight pendant ornaments are seen in the frontispiece and in plate 6, 17, 26 and others. The crescent-shaped pearl ornaments are seen in the frontispiece and in plate 6, 7, 16, 28 and others. A very large one being worn by the little girl in plate 71. Their island however, one shell necklace which is peculiar to the mountains, and, I think, to Mafulu I do not know whether the Kuni people also wear it, where it is worn as an emblem of mourning by persons who are relatives of the deceased, but who are not sufficiently closely related to him to stain themselves with black during the period of mourning. This necklace is made of white cori shells varying in size from half an inch to an inch long, each of which has its convex side ground away so as to show on one side the untouched mouth of the shell and on the other an open cavity. The shells are strung, sometimes closely and sometimes loosely, onto a double band of thin cord. Specimens of this type of necklace measured by me varied in length from 36 inches with 97 shells to 20 inches with 38 shells. It is worn until the period of mourning is formally terminated. The middle necklace in plate 33 is a mourning shell necklace, and it is seen on the neck of the woman to the right in plate 29. Pig's tail ornaments similar to those already described are also worn suspended by neck bands over the chest. Armlets and wristbands are worn by both men and women, and more or less by children, including quite young ones, at the higher end of the upper arm and just above the wrist. They are made by men only, and vary in width from half an inch to five or six inches, the wider ones being generally worn on the upper arm. There are several common forms of these, one the more usual form plate 34. Figure 4 is made of the thin and finely plated stone gray material described in abdominal belt number 5, and is made in the same way, subject to the difference that the plating is more closely done. Measured specimens of this armlet varied in width from 1 to 1 4 inches, and displayed different varieties of diagonal 12 stitch, 
to another common form plate 34. Figure 3 is made of the coarser plated black and yellow and brown materials described concerning number 6 built, and is made in the same way. Specimens of this armlet varied in width from 1 to 5 inches. 3. There is another form which in fineness of material and plate is between nose. 1 and 2. I was told that this is made out of another creeping plant, and is left in its own natural and stained color, which, however, in this case is a dull brown red. For another form plate 34. Figure 2 is made of the coarse dull red brown and stone yellow materials described with reference to belt number 2, and is made in the same way. A specimen of this armlet was 214 inches wide. 5 Another form plate 34. Figure 1 is in make something like number 4, but the two materials used are the stone yellow material of belt number 2 and the black material of belt number 6, and the plating materials are much finer in thickness than are those of armlet number 4. Specimens of this armlet varied in width from 3-4 to 1-1-4 inches. 6 The beautiful large-cut single-shell wrist ornament, commonly worn on the coast and plains, once the Mafula people procure it, armlets will be seen worn by many of the people figured in the plates. There is no practice of putting armlets on young folk, and retaining them in afterlife, so as to tighten round and contract the arm. Leg bands plate 25, figure 1 and anklets are worn by both men and women and also by children, just below the knee and above the ankle. There is a form of plated leg band somewhat similar in make to armlet number 5, and between half an inch and an inch in width, though the color of this leg band is a dull brown, but the usual form of leg band and anklet is made by women only out of thread fiber by a process of manufacture quite distinct from the stiff plate work adopted for some of the belts and for the armlets. They make their thread out of fine vegetable fiber as they proceed with the manufacture of the band rolling the individual fibers with their hands upon their thighs, and then rolling these fibers into two-strand threads, and from time to time in this way making more thread, which is worked into the open ends of the then working thread as it is required all this being done in the usual native method. I had an opportunity of watching a woman making a leg band, and I think the process is worth describing. She first made a thread five or six feet long by the method above referred to, the thread being a two-strand one made out of small lengths about 5 or 6 inches long of the original fiber, rolled together and added to from time to time until the full length of 5 or 6 feet of thread had been made. The thread was of the thickness of very coarse European thread or exceedingly fine string. She next wound the thread into a triple loop of the size of the proposed leg band. This triple loop was to be the base upon which she was to make the leg band, of which it would form the first line and upper edge. It was only about 11 inches in circumference and thus left two ends, one of which I will call it, the working thread, was a long one, and the other of which I will call it, the inside thread, was a short one. Both these threads hung down together from the same point which I will call, the starting point. She then, commencing at the starting point, worked the working thread round the triple base by a series of interlacing loops in the form shown very greatly magnified in figure one, but the loops were drawn quite tight, and not left loose, as, for the purpose of illustration, I have had to make them in the figure. This process was carried round the base until she had again reached the starting point, that which staged the base, with its tightly drawn loop work all around it, was firm and strong, and there were still the two ends of thread hanging from the starting point. Here and at subsequent stages of the work she added to the lengths of these two ends from time to time in the way above described when they needed it, and the two ends of thread were therefore always present. Then began the making of the second line. This was commenced at the starting point, from which the two ends of thread hung, 
and was effected by a series of loops made with the working thread in the way already described, except that these loops, instead of passing round the whole of the baseline, passed through holes which she bored with a thorn, as she went on, in the extreme bottom edge of that line, and also that, in making this second line, she passed the inside thread through each loop before she drew the latter tight, so that the second line was itself composed of a single internal thread, around which the loops were drawn. The second line was continued in this way until she again reached the starting point but, of course, one line lower down, from which the two ends of thread hung down as before. The third and following lines were made by a process identical with that of the second one, the holes for each line being pricked through the bottom of that above it. I did not see the completion of the band, but I may say that the final line is similar to the second and subsequent ones, and is not a triple threaded line like the first one. It was amazing to see this woman doing her work. She was an old woman, but she did the whole of the work with her fingers, and she must have had wonderful eyesight and steadiness of hand, as she made the minute scarcely visible prick holes, and passed the end of her working thread through them, with the utmost apparent ease and quickness. The band thus produced is a very small, close, fine work, and is quite soft, flexible and elastic, like European canvas, instead of being stiff and hard like the plated belts and armlets, the band is generally about an inch more or less in width, it is not deed or colored in any way, but is often decorated with beads, which are worked into the fabric in one or more horizontal lines, but as a rule, I think, only at irregular intervals, and not in continuous lines, these bands and anklets are seen in many of the plates, in plates 10, 11 and 12 the bead decorations are seen, Dancing aprons are made out of bark cloth by both men and women, but colored by men only. The apron, which is worn at dances by women only, is about 6 to 12 inches wide. It is worn, as shown in plate 35, in front of the body, being passed over the abdominal belt or a cord so as to hang over it in two folds, one behind the other, and the front fold, which is, 